Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hey, Ben. Uh, Marcus, we have a great guest today. Yes, we do. The real Donald Trump is here. <laughs> Anthony Atamanik is with us in studio. Thanks so much for being here, Anthony. Hi, guys. Did I say the last name right? You did. You said it absolutely correct. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> I'm You're so the first person. Uh, so Trump impersonators. I don't even want to call Anthony a Trump impersonator because don't. you uh, you are a you are the living embodiment of his dark soul. It's bigger than an impersonation. Um, it was if you haven't had a chance to watch, it was called. Uh, what, just Trump versus Bernie, Trump correct? Trump versus Bernie. And that's on Netflix? Uh, no, Trump versus Bernie is on Fusion, which means it's on YouTube. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you can, our specials are on YouTube, and we have an album that's available on Amazon and Check iTunes. it out. Uh, Bernie Sanders is played by our good friend James Adomian, who uh, performed as Bernie on an entire episode of Roundtable of Gentlemen. If you want to go deep into the archives and find that, I think you'd love it. Um, so you were, and there's so many Trump impersonators out there. Yeah. I mean, there's just, I mean, they're, they're bigger than Elvis impersonators now. It's been a career builder for a lot of people. Yes. Uh, but Anthony, your case is specifically interesting because. You have a total disdain for the dark power that Donald Trump seems to possess. Yes, absolutely. So I want to talk to you. How did that feel putting on the makeup? We were able to do the Benson Ball together, mm-hmm. uh, and we, Marcus That's and I were right. watching you from the wings in, in awe of your performance, and the crowd, it was too on, it was too good, and the crowd was like, I think he's really Donald Trump, <laughs> and everyone was horrified. <laughs> How does that feel, being someone who is completely against Donald Trump's yeah. policies, completely against his victory, you're putting on the Trump wig, you're putting on the Trump makeup. How does that feel to transform into what you believe the enemy is, is the enemy? Um, or at least somebody who uh, you know you don't agree with. Yeah, well, no, the enemy. Um, <laughs> Whoever you want to call him. He's it. an enemy of the state. Um, it's interesting. I think that um, putting it on is... Uh, uh, always a strange experience and I think as the evolution of doing it over the year and a half you know when you're in that quiet moment of like putting it on and just looking at yourself in the mirror I mean of course there's the functional part of just doing the makeup but um, there is like (laughs) I I guess there's the cinematic sort of element of like imagining this sort of sadness like it's a raging bull like that scene where he's looking in the mirror and raging (laughs) bull there's like a there 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 was a protracted sadness and as it progressed Hmm. to that point at the Benson Ball I think um, there's uh, that part of it where you're like, I can't believe I'm like still like doing this and wearing this mask. And I think there's another part of 
taking him on, which uh, is powerful. So there's mm-hmm. another part that says, like, I have a powerful ability to um, be as accurate this icon as possible. Like, I think I'm pretty accurate as him, mm-hmm. but I can then take that um, that car for a drive however I want. And so there's a lot of power in that. So in, in that right. sense, and I don't mean, like, power, like the power and the fact that I can make him say and do what I want right. so I can undermine him while completely representing him accurately, which I think is good. Yeah, well, that was one, there was a moment at the Benson Ball show where, you know, you were you were doing the character and, like, the, the crowd was just weird and there was a moment, there was one this moment. This was just to clarify, one week before the election was the show. Yeah, one week before the election and there was a moment, like one moment when you kind of broke and you said stop being shocked. Yeah. Stop being shocked. Is that something that you normally did or was that just something like when people were watching you and they didn't quite get it? Um, I think that, um, I mean I have done the Tony show for years at UCB and I, I guess I would often um, get frustrated with the audience if they were not getting which is so stupid it's like they weren't getting it which is my problem but like um, there would be times when it would be pretty clear and and something would go over their head and I would get frustrated and I would sort of lecture the audience or I would give them the actual background information Mm -hmm. to the joke and then be like, you're uninformed, right? And, <laughs> and I think one of the big things I've learned performing is that as well, you try to treat an audience with uh, great intelligence, even if mm-hmm. maybe they aren't collectively that intelligent or not, your hope is that if you treat them, you know, that they're intelligent, that they'll sort of rise to the occasion. And um, I don't think it's an issue of intelligence as much as it's willful ignorance that over the time that James and I did the shows, and James like delights in me losing my shit in the show, <laughs> um, I would get um, very frustrated with uh, people doubling down not on the first sort of reaction, but when they yeah when they would believe what I was saying was something that I believed in, they would lose the satirical quality of it. Or um, I think my biggest issue would be the, there was a specific bit I would do uh, on Black Lives Matter where I would just simply tell a mostly liberal audience sort of how the nation is you know, structured in the sense that the nation is built on slavery. We would not have the powerful military industry, New York state benefited most from slavery that that those things matter because they are our history and the same way the germans understand their history and reflect on it it makes them a better people now that um we you know should do the same thing and a mostly liberal audience would be disgusted and shocked at a truth that was presented to them so i get angry when um when i'm presenting a truth to the audience and they feign like disgust or ignorance. And in that specific show, um, I don't remember the exact moment I got frustrated, but it generally it would be the idea that how can you be shocked when I am representing something so closely to the candidate? And it also irritated me and, and came true, which is that people so didn't want to believe Mm-hmm. That he was real, that he had power to possibly win the election, that whether it was rigged or not, or whatever the reason is that he won, that this guy had a real chance not only to win, mm-hmm. but that every reaction from every show that I did that way, I would be like, I would, it would reconfirm to me, oh, we're, we are lost because 
uh, folks can't even digest or understand right. what else is going on. And I think that led to a lot of the um, anger and rage and frustration, confusion when he did win. Yeah. I think, you know, we've talked about it a, a long time on this show, the possibility of him winning. We sort of understood the Trump effect and a lot of people just didn't get it. Um, I want to talk about your appearance on The View election night, which is one of the funniest things you can ever see on YouTube <laughs> because they are looking at you as if you really are Donald Trump and Joy Behar wants to rip your head off, even though she knows it's just you inside of the mask uh, wearing wearing the old fake hair. But um, I want to talk a little bit about your experience becoming Donald Trump. Yeah. Was there anything, obviously your mannerisms are on point, your accent is absolutely perfect, you know Donald Trump, you really mm -hmm. had to get into the mind of him. Mm -hmm. What was that process like? Because if you watch him, I mean I watch a lot of his speeches, and there is something strangely captivating, something you really can't turn away from. He is a uh, he is articulate in a very um, simp uh, simplistic manner that is engaging. Yes. Um, what was something that you learned that you were surprised uh, to know about Donald Trump? And did you ever at some point gain respect for him as a performer, if not a, a politician? Uh, what was that? What was that process like getting to know Donald Trump? Uh, it was very um, it was an interesting process. And I will admit that there was um, moments of admiration in his ability to, especially in the beginnings, talk extemporaneously for 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Um, and I think in the deepest part of studying him, um, it was like a weird like a Wilson and the and the castaway thing where like you know you I would be sitting alone in a hotel room watching give the speech and sort of laughing along sometimes with it or noting mm -hmm. a new thing uh, so there was a bizarre period of sort of a relationship with him where I would be just alone in this room watching him for hours, you know, sort of studying him. But just to get to the sort of nut of it uh, across the board was when I started doing him, I improvised him in a show and had no intention. I just did it as a one off. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did a show called Trump Dump as a result of that because uh, Shannon O'Neill suggested I, that I do the show. And um, <clears throat> I... Uh, uh, basically learned on the job. Like, I think most of the characters I do, since I tend to do them once or twice in my variety show, I do a brief sort of outline of who they are and then go and do them on stage and learn them as I do them. Right. And then probably never do them again unless they're, like, really interesting, and then I'll put them in the bag of other things I can do. So with Trump, as it kept progressing to the Bell House show and James and I did the debate, and it started to get more serious, it started to get... Uh, into a tour into money and and mm -hmm. work I was like oh I'm gonna have to bone up on him I can't just stay at the initial level of sort of a, a caricature right so uh, and I had a very interesting moment where he, um, a guy who was I can't remember his name right now was one of the executive producers for like Amadeus a man on the moon like 91 like came to Ooh, the show executive producer for Amadeus <laughs> I know well now we're talking industry I love that movie Amadeus by the way it's a great I, movie yeah. wow I didn't even realize how much I loved it until you said it I'm like Amadeus Amadeus <laughs> I love that movie what a name drop right uh, but this guy this super old guy came to the show and he came up afterwards and he said who he was and I went oh that's interesting but I guess because those films are such character films right mm -hmm. and he said remember you're doing an acting job not a caricature 
And that's mm. what I like about it. And I took that to heart. I went, you know, I am going to do this as an I'm going to just be him as opposed to worrying about making a joke him. And then I will do the humor sort of through what I what I do. So I studied him. I studied him. I studied What did you hand. find when you studied him? What were what were some of the like big reveals where you be good um, because you have to you understand the Trump phenomenon right. better than most people because in a strange way you vicariously lived it. Yes. I mean, through him, you know, yes. through his success. I'm sure there were many, many times where you were performing on stage and there was, pro you definitely performed for Trump supporters. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure, uh, absolutely. you know, obviously half of the room yeah. uh, in many places, I'm sure. Yes. You, you rode the ride with him. Yes. Uh, what was, a, what was one of the, what was one of the first big reveals where you're like, wow, I really uh, understand this dude. I'm getting into his psyche. Okay. He has concentric circles of thought that are like corkscrews. So he starts with a phrase or an idea. He circles that idea, repeating it and um, uh, analyzing it. Like It's like an everlasting gobstopper from hmm. Willy Wonka. It has multiple prongs. And he approaches all the prongs of that one singular idea. And then he will refrain. And usually the refrain is either super positive or super negative. Hmm. So for example... Um, if he comes out and he's like, we're doing terribly, we're doing terribly. <clears throat> I, I'm doing so, uh, uh, everything's so terrible, but we're winning and we're winning so incredible and we're doing tremendous and we're going to bring jobs back and carrier. They're a great air conditioner company. They send it to Mexico. It's going to be terrible. And they can't send the jobs to Mexico. We don't want to send it to Mexico. Let's not send it to Mexico. Do you want it to go to Mexico? Iran is killing us and they're going to kill us and we're all going to die. We're all going to die. But it's so great. What a great crowd. And we're having so much fun. Hmm. So in that That's sense. That's really yeah, so, interesting understanding. So he yeah. cycles around ideas um, because he's talking extemporaneously. So he has like bullet points, but like I did. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing written in Sharpie. I, did the, I just did the same things he did. Mm -hmm. Pull out the piece of paper, put it down the podium, have it as your reference point. But the big thing he did was like um, C-3PO and um, Jedi. He tells to, <laughs> when he's talking to the Ewoks. Yeah, we are the his audiences were the Ewoks, and he was telling the story of Star Wars. So he literally every rally up until the teleprompter rallies, mm -hmm. he would almost every rally would start with "There were seventeen, there were seventeen, and out of seventeen came one, which was me." And then he hmm. tells the story of. Uh, the campaign, the primaries, and then he refers to the polls, and then he goes down all the people who he defeated and mm -hmm. how he defeated them, and then he runs back around telling the audience stories they already know. So every time he did a rally, he would retell that story, right? Now, the mm -hmm. media covered it almost every time, so everyone watching it would hear that mm -hmm. story over and over and over again, and all he would have to do is build out the end of the story for whatever contemporary or in-the-moment thing was going on. So his storytelling style as a as a as a monologist was both micro corkscrews of information that had uh, disconnected refrains, often never finishing sentences. But hmm. also at the same time, his story overall was like he was like a, a shaman going from town to town, telling the great story of how he succeeds. And how he's succeeding, mm. and in, and how he's going to help you succeed, and how he's going to, and we're, and and he's joined with you. We're doing this right, and so that ability to do that level of intimacy mm -hmm. in a crowd of ten thousand people, where um, a lot of things that, granted, I think were you know fucked up that he would say, like, "Don't worry, I'll cover the legal bills if you beat that guy up." Whatever. Everyone knows also at the same time that as 
much as he's not paying attention to the effect he has in his position, which I don't think he really does understand, that I think that he would say those things and go, oh, it's a fucking joke. Mm-hmm. It's a joke. Right. I don't, I'm not really going to pay that guy's legal bills. I don't really want him to get beat up, but that's a street corner bullshit thing to say. And mm-hmm. it makes everybody laugh along because it makes everyone feel like they're still part of this group and this one person's trying to ruin their party. Did you ever feel when you were performing, that's such an interesting perspective on Trump, by the way. Thanks so much for being here and giving that theatrical sort of perspective on yeah. it. You know, we talk about policy so much and uh, most, I talk a lot about food as well and buffets <laughs> yeah. and things like that. But uh, it's an interesting uh, perspective that you have on it. Um, to come, yeah, never, you know, the, the corkscrew thing is fascinating. Um, did you ever feel when you were performing that people um, maybe were taking it wrong? Did you ever oh, yeah. get a, a laugh that you were actually uncomfortable receiving? Or uh, did you ever perform for a crowd and you're like, I think these people are all going to go out and vote for Donald Trump. Am I doing something wrong yeah. uh, with presenting Donald Trump? Although I don't think that you present him in a light manner, not like Johnny D, who is a Conan's uh, Donald Trump. We love Johnny, J- Johnny D. Domenico. Yeah, he's a great. Great I love John yeah. so much. Can I tell just a quick story of course, about John? Of course, John reached out to me very beginning of the tour, uh, or in the middle of the tour, just reached out on Facebook. It was like, I see you're doing... And I will admit that the first time I saw it, I went, oh, what is this? This is like another Trump impersonator. What's going on, right? right? And I, you know, I read it and I went, oh, it's, you know, I just saw the face at first and went, what's this? And then I read it and was, oh, it's very nice. And now we write back and forth and... Um, John's been doing it for 13 years. He's so amazing. I want to say publicly that I do not do the voice on Conan only because I've gotten so many tweets where people go, go for it, congratulations, and I have to refer them to John every time and go, Mm -hmm. no, John's doing this. And, And just to say, it is Elvis impersonators, obviously. There's tons of us who do this thing, and each person does their own different version of it, and you've got to give it to John. 13 years of doing this. And I couldn't be happier for him. And the fact that he does a different version than me. He does a very, um, you know, he's about doing that impression and that impersonation. And um, I think that it's fantastic. And I don't think that because someone does it differently than I do, that somehow it's worse or it's um, not political enough. And I don't think that there's a requirement on doing that work. And I just want to say that because I think that people tend to do that comparative thing. Like Baldwin, I've worked with Alec for six and a half years. I know him well. I don't, it's not his fault that he's playing Donald Trump on SNL. I'm just going to say, Anthony, you should be playing uh, Donald (laughs) Trump on Saturday Night Live. Alec Baldwin is just, I mean... It's an atrocious impression. I'm going to say it. It's a terrible impression. But uh, no, but to your point, yes, Johnny D. It's a different uh, Trump. It's much more. It's a. It's more of a corporate Donald Trump. He'll do very well. He's making a handsome living, and he's a great guy great and a guy. wonderful person. Yes. Okay. But Sorry. your interpretation, it's a little bit more cerebral in a sense, and you really do crack open the mind of Donald Trump in a way that Johnny D. doesn't. Right. Sure. Um, so again, when when you were on stage, uh, was there ever that experience where I mean, you are harnessing the power power of uh of donald was there ever a time where you were like man am i doing is this for the greater good or am i simply um am i helping donald trump become more of a mainstream idea uh every show every performance i've ever done it i always think that and i always actually get mindful beforehand to make sure that i am that's why the material is the way it is that one of the things i knew was if i'm going to do this I cannot in any way communicate anything that could be misinterpreted as um, an endorsement of him. And so I would make sure to consciously try to make the material as abrasive 
Um, but also like a fishing lure. If I knew there were people in the audience who supported Trump, I definitely did sometimes have, I have some material that is about luring people in to thinking mm-hmm. that I'm about to make an affirmative statement as mm-hmm. Trump that, you know, sort of makes him look good. And what would something like it. that, but would be an example of that? The white power. I mean, the energy thing is, is the big one. Mm-hmm. And now where I, you know, say there's an alternate energy in the United States called white power, uh, <laughs> as opposed to green energy. <laughs> and, um, the th- and and I start with talking about how global warming isn't real, and you know I've right. got a wind farm in my pants and all these different things, and <laughs> terrible jokes, and um, <laughs> um, and you get, and I will say that I've had Trump supporters come up to me on oh, two things. I have had reactions in certain markets where I was wary of the reaction, where I'd be like, oh, you're like laughing too hard at the Black Lives Matter part. Mm. Because one of the jokes I would say, you know, they go, do you believe Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter or something else? And I would say something else. I go, my life matters more than anybody else's, right? Right. And people would take, you know, people who supported Trump would take that as some slam against Black Lives Matter that somehow I am doing a joke, a white-oriented joke of like, oh, come on, you know? Um, and you'd get those last, but then I would go on to a, you know, 11-minute dissertation on, you know, perpetual plantation into prison mm-hmm. uh, treatment of black culture in the United States. So um, I would get those reactions, but again, I would always slap them for uh, reacting to it that way. I will say recently I found a meme on a white supremacy posting board of me with my arm up with white power underneath Holy it. shit. Um, huh. and well, that's good. That's always good for their old career there when people confuse you for a white supremacist or the president of the United States. Yeah. Whichever I've, one. I've had uh, that a couple of times. I, I do have Trump supporters who follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to engage them, you know, and uh, I also, if the Trump supporter follows me and it's clear I will write them a message and say we do not agree with each other I find them you know I do not and and I'll say thank you for the follow and I hope that we can continue to at least expose ourselves to each other's worlds which is better than closing it off yeah Um, Yeah. so well I want to talk a little bit about Hillary Clinton's campaign because you got to meet with John Podesta a lot of people hate John Podesta uh, you know, given the WikiLeaks emails and God knows he's done some pretty awful things. But uh, <laughs> but you worked closely with the Hillary campaign. And I want to ask you about uh, where you feel like her campaign failed or what were they what they listened to and what they didn't listen to. Um, but just briefly before that, we talk about uh, chaos magic oftentimes on last podcast on the left, Marcus. You know this very well. Mm-hmm. And you you as well are interested in this thing. Before the show started, you guys were having a conversation about 4chan and, yeah. uh, and, and what happened with that website. And can you give some perspective on what Donald Trump, what is it? Like, what was the, what's the phenomenon in your, what do you think it was that propelled him to the place that he is now? And, uh, you know, and if you want to, if you guys want to talk about that 4chan conversation, because we've been trying to talk about it for a long time. Again, I can't even look at the website. My eyes just don't, I don't know what happened. I, oh, I just 4chan's like. 4chan's amazing. Yeah, I yeah, find it to be, the, the next website is just Pornhub. I just, I, I have to look, I look at 4chan for four seconds. I'm like, I need to see humans. Yeah. I just don't understand it. No, 4chan for the longest time, it was always known as the asshole of the internet. That's yeah, how people right. always referred to it. Uh, and 4chan was also known as the birthplace of memes. Like if there was a, a big meme that, that came out that suddenly caught caught on two years earlier, it had been a thing on 4chan. Yeah. Uh, and there's a thing on 4chan called dubs and trips. Uh, and 4chan, Donald Trump was the perfect, the absolute perfect um, 
candidate for 4chan because 4chan is all about chaos. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. all about no rules, about, you know, of course, being anti-politically correct and all that type of shit. So Donald Trump was like the perfect candidate for that. And right. people started noticing every time uh, that they posted about Donald Trump. Um, every time someone posts on 4chan, there's a randomly generated number. All of it is anonymous. Uh, and so people will post things like, you know, if, you know, dubs, get, if I get dubs, you know, I'll kill myself or some stupid bullshit like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so people started noticing when they posted about Trump, like dubs and trips would show up. And these are just lot. twos and threes, right? Uh, twos, threes, you know, double twos, double sixes, double sevens, whatever. Uh, and also cycling numbers. I noticed that they are cool with like 5454. Yeah. Like I've noticed that too, that if it's like, or the same number, like two posts have the same number sequence for like four numbers, they're still, they're excited about that. It's not a trip or a dub. But. Yeah. So what does this mean in terms of uh, politics and Donald Trump? How did 4chan create, what What was 4chan's role in all of well, this? Well, it went even fr- so much further than that uh, because they started um, attaching Pepe the Frog. Uh, to Donald Trump. Like, Pepe the Frog started becoming uh, a big meme in reference to Donald Trump. The two things started coming together. Uh, And as time went on, uh, Pepe the Frog started to become a symbol for Donald Trump uh, and people started noticing that Pepe the Frog was related to or looked a lot like this Egyptian god called Kek. Kek mm. was also another 4chan thing uh, where Kek was, uh, it was a completely totally unrelated thing where it came from like a, a Korean yeah, reference to um, like some sort of w- st- World of Warcraft Yeah, World of Warcraft or Starcraft or something like that uh, and so people started saying Kek instead of LOL uh, and completely unrelated, they found that there was this ancient frog god, this Egyptian god of uh, chaos, a light bringer named Kek. Yeah. Uh, and all this mm. stuff started coming together. Uh, and the more Kek and the more like 4chan and the more Pepe uh, started to gain power, so too did Donald Trump. All right. this stuff rose all at the same time. And some people believe uh, that it is possible that Donald Trump was elected through meme magic. Yeah. And their belief that, hmm. but that, so in magic, in like sort of magic with a K, uh, the idea is that uh, hermetic processes aren't like spells and like, you know, amulets and things like that. They're actually, uh, the, the, the interpretation is repetition of concepts, memes, or consciously imbued uh, ideas. So you take consciousness and you take a conscious thought and place it into a meme or place, place it into a symbol, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a classic one is, you know, in Queens or whatever, you'll see those upside down um, pineapples sometimes framing homes. Like if you, you'll see sure. like they look like pine cones or pineapples. So those are initially symbols of beehives. Um, they were used to uh, be a symbol for the masons who worked on the home. And the hive being a, a, a Masonic symbol of the collective mind or will of the builder. Okay, So a lot of builders would put beehives, symbols, like work them into the stonework just as a symbol of like we were part of a, a guild and this guild built this thing. Mm-hmm. But then uh, esotericism adopted the beehive or the – and, and – and the uh, geometric symbols within it, because of course bees create perfect geometric symbols, which uh, really turns on uh, people who believe yeah. in the architect of reality. Fractals and yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so in other words, those that's a living meme that exists around us. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, that Im- that 
imbues our uh, it imbues our consciousness with an association, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's with quality or whatever. Or for instance, uh, in well, movies, it seems to me yeah. uh, it's it's branding to some degree, right? To some degree, and, it's and branding. Of course, this yeah. would be what Donald Trump does best. Yes, and uh, in addition, like movies, the TriStar, the <clears throat> Columbia symbol, those are symbols. Those are memes that are like uh, programming the brain. Hey, you're going into a dream state, mm-hmm. and so uh, often you'll use the a sort of saw. Uh, the thing you have the the flying horse, or uh, you have the Columbia That's ISIS. Yeah. That, it's TriStar. Yeah, my favorite. I went to a movie with my grandmother, and that horse came flying at the screen. The start of the movie, and she said, "I didn't know this was a horse film." And I think it was like Total Recall. Or something. I was like, "It's not a horse film." My grandmother, a horse film. A horse. She wanted to see a horse film. I guess she did see a horse in the beginning. I saw every Lethal Weapon with my grandmother. Oh, that she <laughs> loved Mel Gibson, and Who she doesn't? was Jewish. Oh my God! But she only knew. But so the point being, I don't know what the level of influence is on it. I mean, to be honest, because you have to think about the but population a, of people on 4chan. From a symbolic um, you know, perspective, I mean, he definitely, make America great again. Uh, the slogan was just I mean, a, make America great again is a, a meme, uh, like probably right. one of the most successful memes of the last 20 years. I mean, it, it's amazing. Well, and it was also a Reagan campaign. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I would say that the the, the deeper question or, or, or fear here for those who are like Illuminati people or people who believe in the possibility of the New World Order, which is already here. Everyone keeps talking about the New World Order as if it's some future thing. It's here. And then you talk about the Lightbringer, right? Or the fact that uh, in our world, we live in something called a Luciferian illusion, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea being that if the light bringers cast down to earth where we materialize after leaving the Garden of Eden or Bliss, right, in metaphorical terms, then the idea is that we believe we're separate from God, right? So Lucifer, the trickster God, wants us to continue to believe our separation from God. Now, I'm not religious. I'm just saying this. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, So we are bound in a Luciferian illusion, one where we believe in the finite life, one where we don't understand prior to life or post-life life and our belief that this is the most real world, the world of the flesh, right? So if you look at all the things that have been occurring over the last uh, 20, 30 years as a conspiracy theorist dream, because as we continue marching towards the 22nd century now, we have more and more things that bind us in light, right? We look at our screen, we bind ourselves, virtual reality are things that are about, uh, uh, that uh, one would believe is binding us in the chaos God's uh, trap of being in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And so, of course, the ultimate goal is to trap the sort of a sliver of God, which is humanity, in bound reality, an ever densifying reality that's separated from the ether of the divine or the sublime, okay? So, um, Keck is just an example or representation of Loki, of uh, Lucifer, uh, or Keck, or other trickster gods that. Uh, would say that we are bound in a reality that's that is uh, brought out of the material, not out of the ethereal. Mm-hmm. So that that's that is what their drive is is to say that um, and and also a belief system because I was when I was a young Jewish boy a member of a skin group. <laughs> uh, I was. <laughs> the hell's a skin group? The skin heads. Skin. I ran around with skins in Boston and, oh. and um, I used to go to Gnostic Front shows and uh, Gnostic Front shows and I, I. Did they know you were Jewish? Yeah. The kid, in fact, one of the kids who was the head of the Northeast chapter would say. If you weren't a Jew, you could be in a leadership position in our group. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh-huh. And I, I, because my friends were in it, and so, like most things, and this is how a lot of this shit starts. Right. Bored suburban kids who have nothing better to do, and also it's bored suburban lower middle, middle class kids. Right. Who 
already feel like everything's shit against them because mm-hmm. they're in high school and in public high school, especially if you go to a wealthier district high school where the rich kids, the, you know, the Protestant kids, at least in my, you know, that's how divided New England is. The Protestant kids hated the Catholic kids. The mm-hmm. North side kids from Hamilton hated the South side kids from Hamilton. So you already like those Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. I get, I, I listen, I don't, endorse it but i empathize i get it i get the feeling of already feeling fucked and anyone who is elite rich or from a blue blood background or an honors school kid Mm -hmm. you're going to resent them no matter what they say because you want to hang out at the video store and kick shit around and spray fucking wd-40 on your arm and light it on fire to see how long it burns before you burn like Hmm. that one does it burn uh it will burn for about 20 seconds yeah it's a good amount of time before it gets hot and (laughs) then and then you gotta fan it up but like i'm saying like, so. We all know those. We know those right. kids. We know um, that that's what that. What's that movie? The indie movie that was the big movie that Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, when Clerks? they strike back. Yeah, Clerk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that indie movie. Yeah. Jay and Silent Bob yeah. strike back. But like those kids. And so when right. you look at that, that strata, those kids get into esoterica, Satanism, Nazism, because they don't really think it affects them. They're just interested in it. But then you go in a way deeper, and the next thing you know, you're in some group, and you're like, what the fuck happened? Long story short, I got out of that well before I even you know got out of high school. But um, when this started happening, I remember saying a year ago, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is it. This is the Turner Diaries. This is the beginning yeah. of the... Ev- What's of the, the Turner Diaries? The Turner Diaries is a, a manifesto about a race war that's supposed to happen. Uh, it was one of Timothy McVeigh's... It was Timothy McVeigh's favorite book. Oh, okay. And was a very big inspiration on, you know, just uh, white supremacy today... Turner Diaries is their Bible. And Trump is the candidate of the McVeigh's people. Right. That's yeah. that that's the thing that's frightening. And there mm-hmm. can be a distinction. You can say that he is a candidate of the white supremacist movement, and you can also say that that doesn't mean that every working class person who voted for him purposely voted for him because of white supremacy. Right. And I think that we're, in the left at least, getting so um, uh, t- turned out that we are not understanding that there are multiple things that can be true at the same time time and it's not that it's one blanket truth it's multiple truths and we're committing the same sin and offense that the right is doing by starting to create blocks of people Mm -hmm. which we just don't separate their nuance and say like listen some guy who works at a factory in Cincinnati who might sit around and go those guys in Chicago the cops need to arrest them because they're shooting everybody and you go well what about the black guy you work with oh no that's different he's different right Mm -hmm. that's a reachable person that's a person that with four or five conversations you can at least get them to go hey listen you maybe are endorsing or inadvertently supporting this thing you should consider it as you vote and who you support that person is reachable right Mm -hmm. the person with a swastika carved in their forehead or they have you know gerbils on their forearm they're probably less reachable so lumping the rest of those people in with the fringe is only driving the numbers for the fringe yeah well that's uh yeah that's very interesting i think with uh you know let's move on here and talk a little bit about (laughs) hillary no i mean that is i mean that is the whole that is the whole thing with him i mean it's like he was you know if you go back and listen to some early uh you know donald trump 
some of his early speeches, some of his early town halls. We've talked about it before on the show. He really was just a sponge for what those people were feeling. He would ask right. them questions, they would answer, and he would. And I'm sure you got to see him sort of evolve and roll in these different ideas well, he's always into his dumb at, speech. Yeah, he's very good at riding the wave of he's the room. He's a Katamari he, ball. He just <laughs> literally rolls around and picks up whatever fucking shits on the floor. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But what was it with Hillary okay. in her campaign? Um, say what we want to about Donald Trump. He won, and he won because of the symbolism that we just you know previously discussed here, and because he was engaging what Hillary Clinton described as deplorables, uh, which really, uh, in hindsight, the campaign found it to be extremely damaging. Yeah. The greatest mistake of, of the campaign. Yes, mm-hmm. her basket of deplorables, uh, deplorables line was on par with Mitt Romney's 47% line, but I think it was even slightly worse because she never apologized, and she repeated it many, many times, and they just ran with it. Yeah, and it was gave them something that it gave them a badge, and it also it sounds was a uniter. Well, it sounds elitist all at the same time. Basket yeah. of deplorables. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. it, it immediately reminded everything that they hate about Hillary Clinton. So, right. what was it with Hillary Clinton and her campaign? Because you met with them many times. I met with them on two occasions, and and what um, were the, what was the premise of these meetings? I was uh, uh, I had uh, sought out the meeting a couple of times because I had been hoping to try to get involved in debate prep. Uh, partly, I will just say for my own selfish reasons of like wanting to be that close to history, and 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 I also thought I would do a great job for her playing Trump, uh, mm-hmm. and I I thought it would be helpful. I feel like I can simulate him accurately without doing jokes. And long story short, I wanted to make that pitch. Right. So um, I uh, finally was contacted by someone at the campaign. I don't want to name those folks of the campaign just because it's unfair to them. Um, we'll just go ahead and name them. It doesn't matter. Everything is out there anyway. Be, uh, this person was named O, and um, uh, O contacted me and had me uh, come to the offices, and I went to the Brooklyn headquarters, uh, and I was there to film um, two web ads that they were going to release through a third party um, and, wanna, and do Trump for both the web ads, and they also wanted me to be there, um, and I basically did my one-man show over four 45 minutes for each department. So I went department by department and did 10 minutes. Uh, and in that, uh, John Podesta came out and apparently he was a huge fan of my Trump. And um, he like desperately wanted me to do material for him. So he he loved my green energy white power pit, and he like right. wanted me to perform. So I like did it for him. In <laughs> uh, in like standing in the lobby, I'm dressed as Trump. And somewhere they have film of me going. I don't know where it is, but they have film of me going around doing all this. And I met all the top. I met every person who was the head of every single <laughs> department. Then went in and yeah. made the debate prep pitch. But in the midst of that, I told them a couple of things about Trump's mother and things thoughts I had about and Howard Stern and saying you need to mention Stern and this is before they did the intrepid debate mm-hmm. and um, so one of the top advisors and what would they mention Stern for I thought that they should link um, they should she should imply the things that he had said on Stern because it would therefore uh, both uh, she could say Howard Stern and it would like cue her in that she actually knows who Stern is but also it would uh uh, force um, people to release tapes of him talking uh, right. that were really offensive, which then came out. That all happened after I made this pitch. In the Billy a, Bush bus tape. Yeah. yeah. Well, I went to a strategy meeting. They brought me into a strategy meeting and had me say all this stuff but the, uh, about Stern and all that. But the big thing I said that they should have attacked was connecting his comments on women to what his mother would think 
of how he's spoken. Because uh, mm. when I, my research of him, even in the beginning, there was so little about his mother. You could find nothing about his mom hmm. online. And um, finally, I found a picture of his mother in her older age, and they had the same hair. Yeah, he I know. He does <laughs> his hair the same as his mother, which led to a big joke I would do about him being the Norman Bates of... Uh, presidential candidates. Right. He owns a hotel. He keeps his mother's body in the. And so I started to. Um, and it also explains his inappropriate connection and relationship with his daughter. Um, that I think that although I like to joke about how he wants to fuck his daughter and all that, I think it's more an a, a complete lack of understanding of how to relate to women. And I and I will say that at the um, big dinner, the Al Smith dinner, uh, the Catholic dinner where Trump mm -hmm. got booed and Hillary had done, you know, there's a very interesting moment in that tape and no one really notices it um, where he leans over after he comes down and does his thing where he leans to get her attention. And he does it a couple of times in the, in the video. He desperately is trying to get her attention, smiling. And uh, it's reported that he said to her, hey, you know, you're a real hell of a woman, real tough lady. Right. You're a real funny lady. Tell you you're a tough cookie. So if you watch his body language, though, what you see is he is desperately seeking approval from her. He wants her hmm. approval. Interesting. And so what I conclude from that is that during the debates, one of the things that upset him so deeply was her disdain for him and calling him Donald and all that, that sort of lack of respect, because he... This is a campaign not about him being president. It was about him showing that he's equal. Because to tie back to mm -hmm. this idea of the Blue Bloods and the rest of us, that Mitt Romney speech that happened was devastating for the Republican Party. Because Donald Trump is rich, right? Very rich. But he is Queens rich. Mm -hmm. He is and not he is not of the lizard class. Right. <laughs> he no, isn't. It's, and, and it's one of those, I mean, you make a great point. Donald Trump, uh, he's always been trying to prove himself amongst yeah. the elites. Yes. And he's never been given any respect. And so, He was the laughing stock for a very long time. Yes, and this, this was him bulldozing into mm. that world and saying no. <clears throat> and that is why people can't connect with it. They go, how could the working class connect with him? He's a billionaire. He did this. He did that. He did this, right? People don't give a shit. What they saw was a swagger and a connection um, and a humanity that he said, listen, I might be rich, but I'm still one of you. I'm right. still on the outside like you're on the outside. Whether that's true, mm -hmm. whether it's true or not, whatever, that was the le that was the message he was giving that people connected with. Um, and it was certainly the opposite for Hillary Clinton. It was. She could not shake that. So, I mean, I think that's a fascinating approach. You would have liked for them to exploit mommy issues. Yes, and it would have undone him. He would have I, embarrassed I himself yeah. on the debate stage. He would have gotten so angry if you poked at his mom. And he and and uh, and they would. Yeah, that's a kind of a good. That's good. Yeah, thank well, you. Yeah, thank no problem. You. And I will say that the offices. It was very interesting. It was a lot of young women, a lot of diverse people. Uh -huh. It was everything that you would imagine a Democratic campaign office to be: beanbag chairs and computer. And they had a this huge operation. But it was very much what I used to say on the show, which is it was Chase Manhattan. Mm -hmm. It was Citibank. It was going into any place where you're waiting for a branch manager because you need to print new checks. Right. It it was that. And that was, mm. unfortunately, and I said this since Obama got elected, 
the liberal lack of understanding of race is as deep as the rights. Oh, absolutely. And when they elected Obama, anyone who paid attention, I followed Obama on the campaign trail when I was doing a, a web show at the time for Huffington Post uh, uh, for off the bus. And um, I said to my partner, Mary, at the time, I said, this guy is to the right of Reagan. This guy's to the right of Reagan on military, on all these different mm -hmm. things, and even on economy and banks. I mean, he did more for I mean, that's why the stock market is the way it is, right? So I'm not saying that Obama was, you know, Obama was a fine president. I don't think he was one of the great legendary presidents of the mm -hmm. United States, not because of the color of his skin, because of his policies. Right. And the truth of the matter is that um, we, the, the left got wrapped up and went, well, that's a black guy. He must be a MLK. Mm -hmm. And no one right. will talk about that part on the left, which is that there was a laying on to him of a thing that he was like, I'm not that. I'm this. I'm a manager in chief. Mm -hmm. I'm not a commander in chief. And that's not his fault. That is the fault of 40 years of draining the life out of federal government, removing civil service as an idea that is noble, taking away our idea of civics, and turning government into a management system that exists underneath corporate feudalistic dominance. And hmm. all that you're seeing with Trump is he's bringing all of those pillars or titans of the corporate uh, feudalistic system, the kings and the queens, and bringing them into the cabinet. So what we're seeing is a wholesale, full-on coup of the federal government by private interests, the global <clears throat> interests that drive the system, and that works perfectly for Putin because Putin is also an oligarch who is paired with massive oil and other industries uh, to uh, reinvigorate mm -hmm. the old idea of detente brought by Kissinger in the 70s to create a global uh, hegemony, a hegemony, whatever you pronounce it, between China, Russia, and the United States. North down rule. Now, you had, uh, yeah, we were talking last night, and you said that after you had done a show you were approached by intelligence officials uh, yes. intelligence officials about this yes so i did a show in arlington and on saturday night which was the only really great show or in terms of audience um i went on a jag which i had been going on in august and uh, uh september because one thing i should just say is i've been ahead of all of this not to be, I, I, you know, I feel like an ass when I say this, but it's true, so I don't give a shit. <laughs> I've been ahead of this months, a year, six months ahead of time. I have said things as Trump that not only come true, but come true to pinpoint accuracy. Mm -hmm. And I'm amazed, for instance, that Carly Fiorina went by Trump Tower today. All the players that I referred to, the ones I gathered and kept, and I eliminated the other ones that weren't as important joke-wise, all have stayed in his Orbit. I predicted he would win. I come in uh, second place in Iowa in October, and he came in in second place in February. So I've been very on top of him in terms like the white supremacy shit. I was on that way before anybody else was. So the point being that when I went on this jag about Russia, I basically made this sort of uh, dissertation on the fall of the Soviet Union, the rise of Yeltsin, Yeltsin's attache, Putin, basically running the country because Yeltsin was drunk, you know, off his ass, except for the one day when he was sober and saved us from a nuclear war. Um, it's a good day to be sober. Yeah, it was a very good day to be sober. <laughs> that Putin has been running, you know, the Soviet Union or the <clears throat> Russia since 91, 92. And um, the, uh, uh, and articulating the transformations of the, the intelligence agencies and uh, Trump's investment in Russian business that probably saved him from the casino f uh, failing. 
uh, because also he had investments in Russian illegal Russian poker rooms in the in, in New York all through the 90s and the aughts. So his ties with <clears throat> Russian mafia and oligarchs go way back. Uh, so I basically made this whole diatribe and, and then talked about the coup that's going to happen mm-hmm. in November and that it's not about Trump you have to worry about because he'll be distracted within 10 days of getting elected, which is true. It is the military people that he is going to put in positions in his cabinet. This is a slow-moving military coup with that is financed and backed by Russia. And I come off the stage and these four guys come up and go, that is wonderful. We love the show. We work. And I go, I go, well, what, where do you work? You know, as a joke. And they go, oh, we're all CIA. And they go, you don't know how right you are. Fuck. And they go, you don't know how right you are. They go, we've never, they go, I've never heard someone say what you just said out loud and put it together like that. Because I said, oh, at the time, I just basically went, I'm an asset as Trump. I go, I'm an asset. I'm a great asset. I'm an asset to the Russians. I'm an asset to the Russian Secret Service. I'm a total asset. And right. the idea being that, you know, he really got turned basically to be this Manchurian candidate that he now is. And they uh, confirmed it. And we're seeing that now, obviously, with the uh, CEO of ExxonMobil becoming Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson. Uh, it's a fascinating appointment in a lot of ways. The yeah. idea of diplomacy being the role of his secretary of state is off it's completely irrelevant and we know for a fact he'll just be making deals with the russians mm-hmm. and uh, and certainly oil will be on his mind and to your point with mattis and flynn uh the two generals that he's appointed so far i believe there's another general in there as well mm-hmm. three generals um, so far yeah I, 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 did petraeus make it i'm not sure if petraeus made it yet no i can't uh, remember who the third one is but, but uh but but to that point and of course now with the email uh hacking and the the uh uh, the officials believing that the Russians did were involved in this election, and of course Donald Trump then blaming the CIA, which as a person who thinks the CIA has done some horrible things, I think is quite quite amusing uh-huh. that the president is tearing down the CIA. Um, and we're going to have Mike Baker on, who's a former CIA operative, on the next show, and we'll get more into that wow. uh, aspect of this. But um, <clears throat> from your perspective, uh, when you did feel like you were... Um, telling the truth about Donald Trump in a way that wasn't being expressed in mainstream media, to use that cliche, did you ever just wish that people were taking you seriously? And I yes. say this, this is a, it's a bit of a cliche as well, that comedians want to be taken seriously in reality. Yes. Um, but we do. Yeah, of course. And uh, so when, how did you battle that where you're like, I'm telling you the truth, I'm wearing, I'm literally dressed as a clown. Yes. You're dressed as Donald Trump, the, the most clown uh, you know, uh, president in history. Yeah. How did you deal with that? Um, I think that ties back into what you said about that frustration. I think as the show progressed, I would get more and more frustrated by um, people's uh, inability to digest what I was saying or to find it so offensive that they wanted to close their ears or shout me down. I had someone stand up in Portland and literally shout me down. Hmm. And I had to actually kick them out. This is a person who I ostensibly agree with. Did they forget that you yes. weren't Donald Trump? That well, I think that there is a quarter of our, or at least my end of thinking, uh, that is so serious that they don't even understand or get the satire. They think that you're just serving it by repeating it. Uh, or by, by, by taking on that point of view or, or even satirizing that point of view. Um, I got enormously frustrated when James and I were on CNN in no, uh, February and I mentioned the white supremacy movement then before, you know, six months before, it, uh, five months before it's even legitimately covered by the by the media. Right. You know, Brooke Baldwin laughed it off and was like, oh, and was like, okay, time to wrap it up. Right. Um, I think that really it's a conspiracy more of ignorance and the fact that most people who you meet who are working in the media are just like us. They want a job. Absolutely. They don't really 
have they take themselves seriously to the level that they're appointed to, but they don't have a um, critical yeah they critical, don't have critical thinking, thinking skills. Yeah. You don't have critical thinking skills, which is this this thing is less about the email and the Russians hacking the election as much as this is this chaos mentality that is being in, injected into uh, every element of our lives. So that um, when we get to a point where we don't have clear information, we cannot discern clarity of information. Everything is spun, believed, or not believed. We are creating the conditions for which fascism can take root in some fa- in some way. Mm-hmm. And, and in addition, look at the things we tell ourselves in our media and our movies. In the 90s, all we did for a decade is show buildings blow up. That's all we did. We love showing buildings blow up, major attacks on big cities, mm-hmm. and then we got it, right? Mm-hmm. And then our next media narrative, okay, in uh, films is how many films are about teenagers running around in a dystopic, post-apocalyptic landscape where there is some grand leader who is suppressing our ability to be free. We are telling ourselves the next narrative that we want to have happen. That That is what we That's do in our media. Mm-hmm. So we are, are, we are in the process of, I don't think people aren't just not listening. I don't think people want to listen. I think that there is a crave. I mean, I said this near the end of the show, which is Donald Trump is a human 9-11. He is a dream for news because he will never, the news media, the news entertainment media loves the idea of, wait, you mean it's not just one day where buildings blow up? It's a guy blowing up every fucking day? And 140 characters or less. Exactly. He's the the 21st hijacker. He's the fifth plane. He is the (laughs) truly the plane that hit the White House. Well, that's interesting. Uh, When it comes to media, and I want to talk about uh, your perspective on the entertainment industry side, because I personally believe they did no benefit to Hillary Clinton. I think the uh, no. the celebrities that came out in favor of Hillary Clinton just sounded smug, uh, detached, you know, out of they just don't live in the reality of the people who are voting uh, in these elections. I thought Lena Dunham's of the world did a disservice to Hillary Clinton and some of the great people that supported her. Yeah. Um, where do you think the entertainment role? What do you think their role was in this election cycle? And and uh, I got to ask you if at any time if you felt as if you were doing more help, uh, more damage than good. Um, I don't think that I'm was known well enough to do damage or good. I mean, I, I think I guess in the way that I think I did um, help is that I stayed solely focused on Trump. And I and I also focused on my audiences that I have ideological agreement with, but don't have uh, agreement with the the uh, the thinking behind a lot of my younger liberal audiences that want to bury their head or uh, check down a specific part of your language as opposed to digesting the whole idea first. Mm-hmm. So um, in that sense, um, I think I tried to help, but probably also harmed myself a bit in, in the interim because, you know, I'm agitating people who agree with me, which I think is your job as a comic, not to just have people agree with you in the of fucking course. room. Mm-hmm. Um I think that... Um, Do you feel like playing Donald Trump hurt your career? Uh, I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah. How's that? I don't know. I yeah. don't know the answer to that yet. Uh, no, I think it helped my career in the sense that... How's this? I think that the content was what saved me from becoming a Donald Trump impressionist. That's why I'm not right. getting fifteen, twenty thousand dollar private corporate gigs because right. nobody wants me to go do that shit because I mean, they know I'm not going to just go and 
be like, I love America. <laughs> it's extremely right. uncomfortable. Yeah, it's but, an like, uncomfortable it, performance. Yeah, and even knowing all this stuff, like even knowing uh, all the facts and the things that you talk about, and even because, you know, we, of course, have followed Trump for the last year and a half as well, and even knowing all of this stuff and loving what you do, it's still highly uncomfortable well, because you're yeah. being, what you do is that like you are inhabiting the darkest part of him and putting the darkest parts of him out in front for everybody to see. Right. Those are just my dark parts though. I mean, that's the thing is like, I'm, the way I'm able to play him is that I can identify and understand his thinking. I, I really do understand his thinking. When he does something, like there are times when He's done something that I know is offensive and it becomes like a rolling news cycle thing. But mm -hmm. I know it secretly and I probably usually I won't say it. I'll go. He didn't really mean what he did. Like, I'll be like, I know that he he stepped in it there, but that's not what he meant. Like, that's the nope. wrong one to hang your hat on. Yeah. Does well, that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense. The, and I think that's extremely important. No, I think it's really important because it became. Listen, there's three things to just say, which is one, celebrities, I, listen, I, I think that people always overstate the impact of celebrities on, on an election because- I really don't think it can be overstated how much they hurt Hillary in this cycle, I in my they, personal opinion. I think they hurt Hillary Clinton, but maybe more in the primaries, and I think they hurt Hillary Clinton more with her own voters. Does that make sense? Sure. I don't think that, um, I don't think that someone who sees that music video- who is already voting for Trump or or is someone who is an undecided person who doesn't watch a lot of news I don't I don't think that that was the thing that made the difference I, I, there's three things one how many people really watch cable news a very actually small sliver of people watch cable yeah news. I think Fox okay. News their best show does two million I think that's O'Reilly or, or uh, maybe Megyn Kelly yes I agree okay, not a so lot of people now watch most people get their news either from comedy news Facebook or uh, either uh, Drudge HuffPo or something to that effect okay mm -hmm. then you have to think about the people who actually read the news actually watch the news and then all the people who don't who only hear from the one person who does read Drudge Report or whatever and tells everybody else at work right. what the news is, okay? So that's how people are actually getting most of their information. They don't care. They're checked out on both sides, okay? And then you have the small vocal minority that's really super engaged. Um, I think that in the sense that the elitist element of entertainment coming in and endorsing and celebrating Hillary more so to me it was like a victory lap before they won. Oh yeah, I mean and they had the fireworks booked over the Hudson yeah. uh, which was an absolutely atrocious choice. I think it all just snowballed into the perception that she is disconnected from the working class individual, right? Yeah, but I would say it's the Democratic Party and I would say there here's the thing, Trump was outside of both. The Republican Party right, exactly. and the Democratic Party represented, again, this bigger thing that unfortunately starts to collide with white supremacy and, and right supremacy and anti-Semitism, right? So you talk about the banking class, right? So one person says, hey, the banking class is really hurting this country because of subprime mortgages and this gambling they're doing with people's money. But now a white supremacist or someone who's white supremacist aligned can say, yes, the banking class, the Jews, right? So the problem is the muddling of the argument. So if you can start applying or connecting your dark ideology to an argument that's a leftist argument, right? I mean, look at what Occupy in some way put Trump in the White House. Occupy helped because it stoked this idea, and I'm not faulting it. I'm saying people have a sense that there is something is off. 
And the problem is that the conspiracy that was, machine. I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah, yeah. but it's just to harken back to what Trump says, something's going on. Something's yeah. going something's on here. Yeah, going something's on. going on with the Islam, with Muslims coming in. Something's going. We don't know what it is, right. but something's going on. And, and that's exactly what he would harken to. And people have that feeling. Right. And so Bernie represented, I really believe Bernie could have beat Trump. I believe so too. And I also believe that James and I were right. I believe we were right in our conjecture of what the what the debate should have been. I mm-hmm. think we were right about what the thing. And I'll and I'll say there were things about Bernie I was not enthused about sure. either. Okay, of course. I mean, his wife's involvement with that um, college in Burlington would have been a huge problem once he became the candidate because she basically totally bankrupted a college <laughs> and and took some money at the same time. So there were other things, problems everywhere that that could right. be exposed. The problem is Hillary Clinton. Listen. Her story and what's going on with her in terms of everything she went through for 40 years, if you took the Hillary Clinton from 40 years ago and hadn't watched that person get shoved into all these corners and baked over and harassed and all the things that happened to her, not that she's a complete victim, but to say you might have been a different person. I, I truly believe she probably is a more, much like Al Gore, who have, you know, I met Al Gore of way more congenial mm-hmm. and affable and human person than the candidate, right? So you already had a huge strike against you there, okay? Then you had the media reinforcing that narrative. Um, and then in addition to that, though, you had this basic idea that you could have run probably that Schlitz bottle against her and it would have won because she represented this very dangerous thing that was going to happen. And that thing that was going to happen was we were going to elect another establishment mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. and everyone who was left behind was going to continue to be left behind. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and the, and the elite classes and we say elite classes, I even mean the schmucks, you know, think about the, the idiots I sometimes teach in a class. You meet some person, they work in For marketing. A, a theater class or improv or improv. Yeah. yeah, they work in marketing. They're 25. They're up their own ass. They've got a voice like this. They're on their phone. They're four square. They're seamless. They're all these different things. They are the elite. They might not make that much money at the marketing thing, but they are contributing to the machine that makes the things that make the world shit. Right? Yeah. Well, it's like you were saying earlier. That's the candidate she was for. Yeah. And whether we like it or not, whether she even knows that or not, how's this? Even whether their campaign knows that or Mm -hmm. not. But those people, okay, live in invented jobs, invented fake jobs. All you have to do is do a corporate. I did a corporate gig for a beer company, and to watch their breakdown of how they manipulate marketing to millennials Mm -hmm. was. Even that idea of that name was so despicably disgusting. It was so grotesque to me. And these are all But people, it works. And it works, and they probably yep. all were lefty. They are probably all left of center, okay? And those people mm-hmm. are contributing to the thing that they hate, right? You know, it's uh, – uh, the anyway, go on. Well, I, I do want to talk a little bit. I mean, I, mean, I know we got to wrap it up here at some point, I'm sure. But we've been talking about fake news a lot lately. Mm. And it got me thinking about um, – Back in 2000, 2004, those early years, The Daily Show became a real source for news. And I, that always bothered me. My, my degree was political science. I yes. loved uh, you know, actual information and stuff like that. Um, do you feel like we are living now? I mean, obviously, people are sort of joking about this post-fact world. But do you blame the left uh, in any way or comedy to some degree for disseminating false information and allowing people to fall under the guise that it's okay if it's fake because I like 
the ends. I like, you know, I like where it goes. Um, so it doesn't matter if they're actually telling the truth. I, I enjoy the message enough to disregard the fact that they're lying. Um, where does comedy play into that? If I unwind it, my first faulting is with the major conglomerates that purchased media companies when it was my major issue is with Reagan first because Reagan changed the FCC rules that allowed for uh, corporate ownership to interfere with newsrooms. So you have to go way back to look at where the fourth estate started to get chipped away. Right? And of course, 1996 as yeah, well. The telecommunications. And 1996 as yeah. well. And so yeah. when you go back through, that's the first real stake in it. Because prior to that, you did have like not necessarily the news on HBO. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember that, but it was a news parody show um, that was, you know, had uh, you know, lots of uh, stupid memes. And it's where Sniglets with Rich Hall and all that stuff came from. So mm-hmm. fake news has been done before. Um, there was the, the puppets in the the 80s, the right. uh, spitting image. So, but, but now it seems to be taken seriously. Well, this is what I was going to say, yeah. is that the problem was is that such a power vacuum was left because people saw the ridiculous hires. When you had cable news programs and you suddenly had MSNBC, CNN, and Fox, okay? <clears throat> Not uh, that, that um, the, the level of hiring that they had to do meant that the the quality of the people who were delivering the news, researching the news, and doing that work drops, okay? Mm-hmm. Plus, you also have to, before we get to John Stewart and all that, which we get to, Current Affair, Inside Edition, sure. and the rise of tabloid, syndicated yeah. tabloid fake news shows in the late 80s, early 90s, plus mm. the um, takeover of local news stations with franchise packaging. So um, you start to have NBC go, we'll franchise out Channel 4 in, in, uh, in, in Boston. Sure. I remember when the news turned over from this sort of like delivery of information, local news, New England news, to this sort of razzle-dazzle to mm-hmm. compete action news. with K- action news. Well, we were just talking jokingly in the green room yesterday of the Bell House about the Doppler. Yeah. When, when, <laughs> when every news channel got the Doppler radar, they would not shut up about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I remember growing up in New England, there was a guy... Uh, well, this is a useless story. So the point being... <laughs> if it's I'm about gonna, the Doppler, it's not it's, useless. Well, Should have listened to Dickie. There's a guy named Dick Albert, and you used to say, should have listened to Dickie, and, it, and <laughs> I kid you not. And he had a uh, uh, a thing you could get from Channel 5 um, that was a, a, a... Dickie always wore funny ties, and it was a tie that changed... It was a temperature tie. Oh, so it wow. turned... I, and my awesome. And my good friend, Matt Albert, who I went to college with, with was his son. So <laughs> I was like, I can't believe I know Dickie's son. And we, we used to get high, and I'd be like, and we get really high, and I go, should listen to Dickie. He'd just be like, shut the fuck up. But anyway, yes, that, go on. So, point. great point. So yeah. now all of this sort of lends itself to this point in which we have a new wave of satirical uh, comedy, uh, news comedy, when Stewart takes over, um, that uh, brings us to this thing this this mantra okay of comics which is i'm not really a news person this isn't right. really news so you can't take what we're doing so that became the joke on the daily show right this isn't really news we're not really news people but you can't do that and then have significant p- political players and media people coming on and thinkers and do in-depth interviews where you know your information is being shared as legitimate news and then divest yourself from that responsibility, right? right. So like John Stewart, 
who I enjoy John Stewart, but even now, even post-election, he wants to ride that space, that disingenuous space in the middle hmm. where he's saying, well, it's this fault and it's this fault and it's this and it's this. And it's like, yeah, that's fine and fair to do that because you want to be fine and fair. But the truth of the matter is, is that we don't weigh all options equally. If we were in a burning room right now, I would not wait to hear you out about why should we should stay here and burn alive. Right. Right. I could make I would, a good point. For you it. might. And, yeah. you know, and here's the danger. You might be able to make a good point for it, <laughs> yeah. which is why <laughs> we don't do that, right, which is right. why certain things we say, no, you have to leave the building. That is the only option. And we can later on assess if there was a better option other than leaving the building. And I think the problem is we've gotten to the point where we're all on fire and we just keep debating about how to put it out right. without any actual action. And if anyone takes an action, it's seen as partisan or dangerous. Okay. So comedy news, I think I own what I do. Mm -hmm. Like I do that. Don I have an opinion. I have a strong opinion about it. I don't believe in being fair. I don't believe I owe both sides something. I have my conclusion that I've made. And does it evolve based on things that I see or read? Or does the 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 way I deliver the character change? Of course. If there's things I say in the show and an informed person comes up to me afterwards and says, you know, mm -hmm. this is you said is not really true, or you know, you should maybe incorporate this, or the way you said that actually does not is not helpful. If I take that and go, yeah, you know, I think that's true. I agree with them. I think that they're right. I will change or reorganize what I do right. to better fit and better communicate what I want to get across. But I am not an impartial person. I have an opinion, <clears throat> and I, as a result, am sharing that opinion through the, vet, the through the thing that I do. Yeah. If I do a, a comedy news show, for instance, in the future, okay, I will have a specific point of view. It is not meant to be fair. Okay. And the additional thing is that where satire I think can be really helpful and where the line is blurred is like John Oliver, I think, does a very good job of this. Mm -hmm. John Oliver does incredibly well researched think pieces, right? But now at the same time, the hysteria that is sort of behind those think pieces, the frustration, you know, it's because it's funny how he delivers, I think. That, right. Um, I do think at the same time that like we are not recognizing that we do the same mixing of passion and opinion as the right does. Oh, absolutely. And which we is, which don't is, I acknowledge think it. We to call ourselves rational. Exactly. And I think that's one of the issues um, that's facing the country right now. And that's the goal of this show. And it's been difficult. We're, we try to be a centrist show as much as possible. Um, you know, I, I say, Marcus, you're a liberal. And, ben, and then he calls me a conservative. Mm -hmm. It's such and, a fun oh, show. And we just get so mad at each and other. And we, when we wrestle. <laughs> and then we take our clothes off. And we're like, let's do it nude. And we uh, wrestle yeah. and wrestle and wrestle. Um, <laughs> so absolutely, it's difficult to find what is, uh, you know, what is rational and what's truth. And, uh, and I think that it's... Uh, important for people to go into, you know, like you say, if you are biased or if you do, you have a perspective, it's important to put that out there and let people know right. that this is just your perspective. Right. And uh, this is not gospel and stuff like that. When you were doing this experience, I will, first of all, we, we'll close it out with the view story because I have to hear you. Yeah, of course. Of but course. Uh, but I, have, I have to ask, you basically were a politician for 16 months. Yep. Did you get bit by that bug at all? Did you yes. understand the power of being a politician, the, the the thrill of of going in and not just receiving laughs, but receiving 
uh, claps of approval yes. for your philosophies and your thoughts. Yes. Did you have? Do you ever think about running? Because we we encourage people to run uh, for local offices all the time in this uh, on this show. Did, would that be something that you would do in the future? Yeah, I've actually considered running for. I think a local office in 2018, if it's possible, depending on where my career is at. I've actually spoken to a couple of folks who also worked at the Clinton campaign. And if you do, will you run as Donald Trump? Yes. Yes. I'll run as Donald Trump. If this were Iceland, I probably could become the prime minister. Um, I, uh, Does it give you more respect for what they have to go through on a daily basis? I mean, Oh, my you know, God. It, the yes. grind is real. Yeah. Well, I, and these are 70-year-old men and women. Right. Well, that's, I said this to James all the time. I said, I, we're doing one thing a day, one thing a day. These people sometimes do two or three appearances in a day, and they are going for an hour and a half. And like you said, they're 70, which is fucking insane. Yeah, right. We would be exhausted after a two-hour show, hour and 40-minute show. Um, yeah, of course, going in front of an audience, even as a comic, you know, getting laughs, yeah. getting approval. I mean, that's, I mean, who knows why everyone does it? I know that that's definitely a thing that really excites me is both getting approval but also yelling at the audience. But... Um, yeah, I think that um, I also would say that you start to learn how to craft a stump speech. Mm -hmm. You learn. Uh, you I mean, you literally have been a politician or a fake politician just as long as Donald Trump. Yep. So you sort of learned right along with him. Yeah, I did. And I would say that that was I think there was a lot of kismet, much like the 4chan, like Keck in the in the frog. I think there was a. A Jungian synchronicity that just happened to happen mm -hmm. between the two of us where there's a joined sort of uh, uh, experience. Um, I even think after the election, I retreated to my home and have been just having people come visit me at my house Are and you barely go out. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Are you just taking pictures in the woods? Yes. That's it? No, no. I would, Hillary? I would say more like Trump. Like he retreated to his apartment right. and I retreated to my home. I have yeah. not been doing Trump basically since he got elected. I have not been active. Like the parallels to me weird me out because there is this, this parallel thinking, which I think is why I was able to get into his head. I I think there's a mm -hmm. lot of unfortunate similarity um, in if I was a Skyrim character, it's like I just was a dark elf and he was like a Brenton, you know, like <laughs> I, I, don't, just, worry, I, I don't get, get it. I, <laughs> I get it then. Don't worry. You don't have <laughs> funny stuff. Anthony. <laughs> I love it. And I think that um, uh, I think I have great respect for them. And also like you enjoy it. You enjoy the thrill of getting up. There's something about being at a podium. Mm -hmm. At a podium, not at just a mic, right? But at a podium, and sort of making cases and watching your logic, sort of uh, coagulate or mm. like join, you know, uh, emulsify, mm -hmm. and the audience connecting with that logic. Um, yeah, of course, and that echo chamber of getting your ideas reinforced back to you, mm -hmm. it was thrilling. I, I, I was the president of my high school. Like I knew governor, I knew Governor Bill Weld. I've known Bill Weld. Oh, I love forever. Bill Weld. Ever. I just yeah. ran into him the other when I was back for Thanksgiving. I saw I, him on the street. Yeah. To that point, I was able to speak. I I, I supported the Libertarian guy. Party this year, and uh, so I was able to go and speak and and do some of those rallies. And exactly what you said, man. It's exciting. You don't mm -hmm. have to be funny. You just have to like espouse your philosophy. And when they get on board, it's like really uh, it it's rejuvenates exciting. you. You know, it's it exciting. really is exciting. And Gary Johnson was a really great. Guy, I love I have Gary. to say, I met Gary yeah. Johnson uh, at Politicon. He. He's a nice guy. I even joked with him. I was like, come on, you're in California. You, 
you got to pop brown it, you know? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. you know? <laughs> That's a good impression. Uh, <laughs> I know. I think he should have just stayed stoned the entire time. But I, he went, I think he was he went getting cleaned. stoned at the end. <laughs> I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I think he said, fuck I, it, you know? I hope he did. I, I hope, hope he did, too. I do love him. I think, and, you know, people are like, how do you vote for him? He, I, in my opinion, he was the the most moral of the other options. Well, I can thought, I say but, this then for just what you said, and then I know we need to wrap up, is that um, – this is one of my biggest issues that I have with, with everybody, and it connects directly to polit- this idea. If we're talking about even being centrist or thinking about sort of not centrist, but I don't even think it's about centrist. I think it's it's about an inclusion that is the real inclusiveness that people don't want to do, mm. which is like, did I fully support Gary Johnson? No. But do I think that you're an idiot for voting for him? No. Do I think right. that um, someone's an idiot for voting for Trump? D- yes, I think the result was idiotic because I don't like him as a presidential, you know, as the president, but I don't think that that person, I want to hear them tell me. And my guess is that they're not going to go, Oh, I'm a devout white supremacist who hates women. No, they're probably going to say, listen, I didn't really, you know, a lot of people, I guarantee you went, Maybe he'll be good. It's a coin flip. Who knows? That's what my uncle, that's what my cousin said. I think a lot of people thought they knew Hillary would be bad and they were willing to take a chance. Yeah, it's like I said, they went with the devil they didn't know with it. Yes, and I think that it doesn't mean that someone who is a diehard Hillary supporter or Democrat doesn't have the right to be upset and dejected and surprised and all all the things that everyone's allowed to have their feelings, right? Right. But at the same time, this... I made, I used to I made this joke the day after the election, which is like oh, all those Trump supporters, all those people vote for Trump. Don't you wish you could just those right wingers? Don't you wish you could just round them up, right? Just round them up. People are cheering. I go, you know, and put them away. Put them away in camps, right? Reeducate them. Put right. them in camps and reeducate them, right? And they're cheering. I go, isn't that funny? That that's the same fuck that thinking that you're laughing and agreeing with mm-hmm. is the same thing you're saying. You're afraid the president's going to do to other people. I said, so this notion that. It's right one way and wrong the other. That 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 doesn't that doesn't work. We right. need, have to defeat that type of thinking in every corner. And that that's thinking why, has to be defeated right. in every area. And that's why I do think it's important to have more voices out there. And that's why I even support Jill Stein in a lot of ways. I mean, these binary choice, this binary choice of our election cycle needs to change, uh, in my opinion, um, because it leads to exactly what you just said. Yes, uh, us or them, one or the other, and that's and that's it. it um, so anyway, it's November eighth. Let's let's flashback. Okay. You are booked on the View. Yeah. The very conservative show, The yes. View, with Whoopi and uh, Joy Behar, Raven Simone, I believe, was there. Raven, well, no, uh, Raven wasn't there for Raven that one. There. I had a uh, Full House, Can- uh, Candace Cameron, who okay. is a Republican, uh, Trump supporter. Oh, okay, very good. And Kirk Cameron as well. Family Matters. Wow, it really got the most conservatives out of Hollywood there. Wasn't that their show, Family Matters? No, it wasn't no. Family Growing Pains. Growing Pains. He yeah, was yeah. Growing Pains. She was, um, she was Full a, House. Yeah. She was Full House. Yeah. I'm, I'm that was older. my joke, that she would be the head of Fuller Housing and Urban Development. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, so you're booked on the show, and you're there when they're reading. First of all, there was a guest on before you. So when we arrived, I was slated to go on earlier, and... Uh, Machado, the woman. Alicia Machado. Alicia Machado. Miss America. Miss Universe. Miss Universe. Trump's Miss Universe was there and she was on the panel and I'm in full Trump, like full makeup and like the, you know, it's on TV so I'm looking real good. It's not like stage version. And um, she's crying, you know, about what he did to her and sort of uh, uh, having a, uh, it's a dark time already because clearly it's not going the way everyone wanted it to. 
And um, I turn to the producer and go, I can't go on after her. She's like sobbing. Like this will be the most fucked up thing in the world for me to walk out <laughs> right after that and do Trump. Um, and the audience will like boo me, which they did anyway. But so they they sort of scramble to push me later. I and- just got to ask, what is your mood at that point? Because you are the embodiment of the devil uh, to yes, them. Yes. And you're going on The View. Obviously, it's a very liberal show. And you are not Trump. But what's what's your emotion? You see this woman who was bawling because of what Donald Trump did to her. It's beginning to become a reality that he's going to be the president-elect. You are now the vessel for that person. Yeah. What was your feeling? Um, I was having, I would say, close as close to a panic attack as I could have without fully having one. I had the abject sinking feeling in my stomach, um, a sort of tingling on my arms, in the back of my neck, a dizziness, um, mostly because the thing I thought was going to happen happened, and I had been hoping against my own instinct that it wouldn't. So you actually thought Donald Trump was going to win? I knew Donald Trump was going to win for... A month prior. Interesting. I knew he was going to win well before the Comey release. I I, I knew that hmm. I knew that he would win. It would squeak out. I actually had a map where he won at three oh six instead of three oh three. Wow. And I um, firmly uh, believed that the vote totals were wrong, and it was the same Obama effect. It was the Obama effect of two thousand and eight. North Carolina went to Obama, right? Why? Because everyone said, oh, he was losing by four points going into the day because people were quietly going, oh, no, I'm not going to vote for that guy, and then went in and voted for him, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't just turnout of different uh, segments of the American population. It was, and it was white people who weren't saying it who went in and vote. That's what pushed him over the top in North Carolina. And high African-American turnout. Yeah, and high African-American turnout. But I'm just saying in terms of what was the thing that sort of maybe pushed it over the top was the secret voters. You have to think in terms of this election that people think about who is taking polls. People who are doing polls were probably more Clinton people because they wanted to make sure that it appeared. And this is the great offense that should be connected to the policies of both the Republican and the Democratic Party is that they're more concerned with the appearance mm-hmm. of what it looks like than the fundamental thing that uh, uh, of getting the vote or getting the election. They want the appearance of a high poll because that yeah. will convince them that they're winning. This is the same as the housing market crisis. This is the same as the upcoming bubbles that are going to happen. It is the appearance. We didn't lose 5 million jobs in 2007. They never existed. They were fake jobs. So when the housing bubble collapsed, those were fake mortgages. There wasn't high housing volume. There wasn't a lot of job growth. What actually happened was a fictitious system that was built up that couldn't be sustained. Right. So this same thing happened there. So I I, I felt it going in, and I sort of was already going, my God, I'm going to have to do this. I thought I was going to get to take a whole new direction after this. Uh, so I was going through my own shit, and then I was also like, I don't want to do this to this woman. And I was having the thought of like, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to do it for a second, right? You know, all those things go in your head. Right. And then finally she came off, and she, I swear to God, she came around the corner and looked at me and went, no, 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 like that. And I went, no. I said, I don't like him. I don't support him. <laughs> I'm a Trump imper- I was like, I just, I, in fact, I can't right. stand him. And she went, okay. And I we started talking. But you did and- have to digest that hate oh i've had to do that all year yeah people and and here's the thing it's like being a wrestling villain 
So, you know, you right. sort of revel in it in some ways, but as it got closer to the election and you're this icon of him, as I was at my last show at the Skirball Center, where at the end, the last 20 minutes, I was like, I'm not going to be funny anymore. This is it, guys. And we're on the precipice and it's not going well. Mm-hmm. And nobody liked it. The audience actively, I weirdly, I got a standing O, so I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I, I did. I don't know why I got a stand, but I think it was because maybe they were just listening, and I'm not very good when they're listening. I right, think they right, don't right. like it. But, like, that was the um, uh, uh, that was my final plea to an audience of people who agreed with me. Right. But to basically tell them, like, you, you guys got to stop sniffing your own asses and believing that you're righteous. Because we all know the reason that you order Seamless is so you don't have to talk to the foreign delivery guy. Hmm. So what makes you any different than me, than the Trump? What makes you any different? What makes you different than the Trump? Yeah. Well, I want to make sure it wasn't me, me. Uh, <laughs> but And so uh, she walked off, and we ended up taking a picture together and, and, and smiling and laughing, and she was fine. And, and she actually came by the dressing room later and was like, thank you. It was, like, cathartic. Yeah. So I weirdly was like a catharsis for her, strangely, to, like, sit and talk to this icon mm. of Trump. And then I turned to the producer when it was time for me to go. So then it's time for me to go up. And, and so about 20 minutes has elapsed here. And now Ohio, minutes, yeah. about 30 minutes, and Ohio hadn't been called yet. And, no. of course, once Trump won Ohio, that was it. Yeah. That was that was the whole campaign. Everything was finished at that point. So, yeah, so you're waiting in the wings. You're, and, and They're you're about called. to cue me up. And yeah. now Joy knows me. I've done a, I did a previous appearance on the show. So, like, Joy knows my routine, okay? Right. We had had these set-up sort of softball jokes about what he was going to do after he lost. And I'm standing next to a producer. She goes, are you all set? And I said, I'm not doing what we planned. And she went, what do you mean? I well, that's not what's happening. And I said, I can't <laughs> yeah. do, I'm going to have to change the jokes. And she said, do you need the writer to come down? I go, no. I go, I'm just, and she went, but, 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 and they just sent me out. So I sort of said, I'm dumping the material as I'm going out <laughs> on a live show. Oh my God. And I walked out and set it down. And um, I think you can see from it, if you anyone wants to watch it, that yeah. I have already sort of gone, well, this is this is the fu- this is it. Yep. This is this is what happened, and I sort of went into a different routine than I had planned. And when he won Ohio, we went to a commercial break, and I turned to the woman next to me. I can't remember who it was, and I said, "Listen, just ask me about the swamp. Just ask me how." I, I said, "In fact, just ask me how many, uh, how I got so many supporters, right?" Mm-hmm. And I turned to Joy, and I went, "This is insane." She goes, "I know. This is insane. This is crazy." I go. I was like, this, this is it. I go, he's winning. And she goes, really? I go, yeah, he's going to win that. This is, this is what's happening right now. And she Mm. like shook her head and it comes back from commercial and she goes, how did you, you know, get so many supporters? And that was when I just went off the rails for the the end of it. I was like, well, you know what I found? I go, I drained the swamp. I was like, I drained the swamp. And you know what I found at the very bottom of the swamp? I haven't done them in a while. (laughs) I found... At the very bottom, rolling around in the muck like a pig? Me. Me. Rolling around in the swamp like a dirty, mud-covered pig. This is on live television. And then they go, they say, well, they tried to put it back on the rails and go, I heard you're driving around in the Billy Bush or the bus or whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah. I go, we got a woman in every wheel well. <laughs> and people there, and I go, because, why? Because I'm a misogynist. Because I'm a stone-cold woman-hating misogynist. I go, what does it matter anymore? What does it matter? Right. None of this matters anymore. I go, we're, you know, and they're all sort of like, 
reeling. And uh, and that was, I think that Joy kind of wrapped it up at some point and said, well, who knew you were so funny, Donald? And that was wow. it. Yeah, get if you get a chance, I believe it's on YouTube. That's where I watched it anyway. Uh, it is, uh, they're uncomfortable, and, and there was a palpable depression uh, oh, in, yeah. the rim, uh, yeah. in the room. I mean, were you just riding the depression? Yeah, or like I mean, riding the feeling of the room. I was in. I think I was in a fugue state at that point because I. I think at that point I realized that um, the trajectory of my life the next four years has changed, and there's a lot yeah. of things that come into that, which is continuing to do him right. means uh, death threats. Continuing to do him means risk. Um, you know, it means a change in my life. Where do the death threats come from? Because Twitter. I can see. Twitter. Yeah, Mostly. but I could see both sides, Trump supporters and uh, liberals who probably think you're complicit in some way of getting him elected. I could I, uh, see you get attacked from multiple angles. Yes, I don't get the death threats from the liberals. I more so more so get sort of like dressing down or it's either, depending on what I post, I'm either pro-Bernie or pro-Hillary or pro-Trump. Right. And, and and the irony to me is that I'm really not none of them. <laughs> like, there's none of them I particularly enjoyed that much. I enjoyed Bernie probably the most out of mm. all of them. Um, but uh, it's it's I think that this vicious psych. There's a great documentary that just was released recently called Hypernormalization by Adam Curtis. And I don't know if you've ever seen Didn't see it. Century of Self, uh, Power of Nightmares, or Bitter Lake. They're all incredible documentaries. Okay, I'll check them out. Adam Curtis, a BBC documentarian. It's not loose change. It's not some like fringy. It really it's it's a very uh, uh, thoughtful dissertation on why we are at where we are at. It's where the management class idea comes from. And hypernormalization create you know the the tech world. What we're ignoring is the new great industry, which is the tech giants, the Twitters, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, mm -hmm. these folks aren't just about their, of course, their sell is that we're all free to express and, to, but right. that's not what's happening ever, ever refined algorithms that are further insulating mm -hmm. and isolating mm -hmm. different ideologies that give the illusion of this broad landscape of the internet, which is actually very controlled, contained and Ultimately, its only goal is to advertise to you right. and to make you angry so that you purchase shit, right? So hyper personal, yeah, yeah, and so and so the 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 um, the world we live in now, where if you write something on Twitter or link, I have a friend who wrote an article on HuffPo that was like why Hillary lost. It was a very interesting. It was article. a great article. And I, I read that. Yeah. And I didn't even agree with everything that Zach wrote, but I thought it was an interesting article. Yeah. I posted it. Oh my god! I mean, the attacks I got from just posting that. Well, you think that you and you don't like women, and you don't, and it's like you guys don't. I mean, who cares, really? That's the other thing is who fucking cares about what's written on Twitter and everything. But, like, it is so um, impossible to have a consensus. And I would say that especially if we're thinking about the left, let's talk about the left that lost, right? Or the center left that lost. Um, w this idea that we are eating ourselves alive as opposed to figuring out, well, what is the objective then? Because there is no objective. There was no objective in the Democratic campaign except maintain what's happening. Mm -hmm. No great idea. That's now, right. and, and, you know, and here's the thing. Trump walked into that and gave also no great idea that was specific, but he gave these big, broad, 
great ideas that everybody went, I want a new airport. I want new roads. Right. I, I hear that and I go, great. I don't care about the rest and I don't take him seriously because he doesn't take himself seriously. So I won't take seriously the dark stuff. That's the logic. And so when you have on the, the left people going out and protesting, I thought that that was the most laughable fucking thing in the world on the 9th for people to go out and protest. I really did. And I, God bless you if you went. God bless you. But you know what? You had 12 fucking months. 14, 16 months. You had where, mm-hmm. there was more organized protest, okay, in the uh, Democratic convention mm-hmm. than there was at the Republican convention. Yeah, we talk about it many times. Yeah. So if you don't like what you see going on, then where were you in Cleveland? Where were you shutting down Cleveland streets? Where were you shutting down mm-hmm. protesting? You knew he was a white supremacist, you, or you knew he was supported by white supremacy groups. Where was the persistent rejection of him time after time? Nowhere. But the day after, that is the most absurd thing I've ever seen. And that, to me, is a classic example of exactly how not serious most people are. They are about attention. So if Facebook or Twitter is about me writing my posts so that people can validate my post, because I'm not publishing it anywhere, it is not an op-ed. It is simply a four-paragraph thing I'm writing that like-minded people are agreeing with or people who don't agree with me, I can shit all over them in the feed, right? That is just you. If this was a town, if we didn't have Facebook and it was a town square, it would be you going down to a giant board in town square and hammering up that that thing you right. wrote and then people writing yes or no on it, okay? It is a self-involved act, So we have taken, and this is very crafty, I think, by the sort of greater power system that has basically said, hey, why don't you go have no vision, organize and protest with no result? We saw this with Occupy, Mm -hmm. which was an incredible movement that maybe got Bernie into the position he got into, but it also advocated and helped Trump. Okay, because there was no central theme. They never had a central theme. In fact, they were opposed to a central theme. Okay. Same thing happens in in Egypt. The liberals in Egypt were the ones who initially fostered this incredible movement that was going to happen. But because the movement happened so quickly, there was no power base behind the liberal movement in Egypt. That's why the Muslim Brotherhood went in and filled that vacuum. You could argue Trump is the Muslim Brotherhood that filled the vacuum of the Occupy movement or this anti-establishment movement that Bernie created. So, Well, we, I don't think Trump likes to be called a Muslim, okay, Anthony? Let's, <laughs> let's have a little respect for the president. I love the Muslim. And, <laughs> and so I really think that what's so frightening and dangerous is that we don't, the people who are doing this organizing don't even understand that they are actually mm-hmm. fulfilling the power class's desire to have a, um, a rapidly, mostly reactive, not organized and not thoughtful opposition. Our job, those of us who oppose what's going on, is to create an opposition with an ideology and then targetedly figure out how we're going to make effective use of peaceful protest to either gum up the works, to force senators or members of the House to make decisions, to undo governmental systems, to stop major corporations Mm -hmm. from doing what. That is an organized system 
that requires more than just the knee-jerk desire to go stand with other people in front of Trump Tower because you hate what happened. That doesn't do anything. That's not a protest. Mm-hmm. It's a tantrum. Mm-hmm. I love Anthony. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Anthony Tamanek. I mean, well, really just insightful stuff. Really wonderful. Well, thank you. And uh, 2018, keep us updated because I don't think you want to. I mean, you could just be Trump forever. <laughs> um, but I would love to see you in a uh, position uh, in office. Oh, I because would I think your uh, your philosophies are just really rational and dead on and, and, and extremely insightful. And this experience for you, I mean, I can't even imagine what these past 16 months have uh, been for you. And thank you so much for sharing a little bit with us. Oh, well, yeah. Because that was really incredible. Well, a wonderful time. Uh, thank you. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, uh, so much, man. and now it's time to plug your Twitter. Uh, as a matter of fact, in a funny okay. way, okay. Or, or whatever. Is there anything that uh, that uh, people can go see you at or any plugs, upcoming events? Plugs, plugs. So I, my Twitter is, of course, annoying because it's uh, my name. So it's <laughs> at Tony Atamanik, which is T-O-N-Y-A-T-A-M-A-N-U-I-K. You can also just look up. It got up. more confusing when you spelled it. I know. <laughs> it's the worst wow. last name. And now because I'm fucking verified, I guess you can't change your handle or else like, you oh, lose really? your thing or whatever I don't fucking know so I'm just I have to figure that out but for now that's what it is but you can also just if you search uh, Tony Atta T-O-N-Y-A-T-A it'll come up Um, uh, yeah so what would I like you to see I have um, the Tony show at UCB East the first Tuesday of every month, uh, January 3rd is the next show. Um, December 28th um, is a new show I'm doing that I'm actually be taking to Emerson College on January 27th in Boston called I Told You Show, and it is essentially a lot of what we just talked about. It is my reflection on the last year and a half of doing Trump and how I tried to warn people and no one listened to me. Right. And uh, we usually have great comedians uh, who come on and actually do panel discussion as opposed to doing stand-up. Well, if you you want a bad uh, one, I'm it. in. Well, you're in, and then we do Thank the New York. Well, you want to do the New York one? I would love to do it. Yeah? Okay, there you go. All you right, too. we don't even have to release this episode. That's been the whole point this entire time. <laughs> so that's what's coming up, and then who knows what's in the future. Um, awesome. All right, you can find Marcus Parks on Twitter, at Marcus Parks. Instagram is the same. I'm Instagram at Ben Kissel one learning how, to, uh, learning how to use it. Every single day, I get slightly better. And on Twitter, at Ben Kissel. I'm teaching them how to use Instagram. Yeah, there's Very buttons, good. and they, then they, when you hit I the button it. there's an actual i don't i i don't I like pictures don't like i pictures. hate pictures i don't like pay, my instagram is thin i mean i did a lot of ones for the tour but like oh, oh my god it's such a stupid thing anyway um all right everyone thanks so much for listening go to the facebook page ableton's top hat uh, it's always full of great discussion the next episode like i mentioned earlier we're going to have mike baker on he's a uh, ex-cia uh, operative and we're going to talk about what trump is doing right now and, and you know we'll get into some of the foreign affairs and uh, we'll, we'll delve into that thank you so much for being here anthony thank and uh, we'll talk to you soon for more shows like the one you just listened to go to cavecomedyradio.com Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, 
No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 